What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to Meet the Critters podcast. We have a super awesome, awesome guest tonight. Um, we're going to pull him up in a minute. So, stuff that's going on here. We've just been kind of chugging along. Um, if you do follow the YouTube channel, you guys have seen that we are going to be getting out of beef cows. It's a little bittersweet, but financially, it's the smartest thing, smartest thing to do. Um, but more than likely, we'll be keeping Nubs. He's the oldest one we have. He's going on a year and a half. Um, he's a Holstein Hereford cross. Um, but we'll probably just, I'll keep him, grain him out for the rest of the summer and into the fall. And we'll pop him into our freezer um, and we'll get rid of the calves. But let's go ahead and pop. Um, we have Troy McClung up from the Pasture Pig podcast and Red uh, Toolhouse on YouTube. Uh, so let's go ahead and bring him up. What's going on, Troy? Hey, Cal. Nothing much, man. How are you? I'm doing good. So I want to thank you publicly for coming on. I already thanked you before we got on. Um, but so to anyone who doesn't know, I know I've got a couple people in the audience um, that were super excited that I had you on. But for people who don't know who you are, who's Troy? Oh, that's <laughs> loaded question. Existentially, or <laughs> I, I always, I always say the the wedding pitch when you're at a uh, at a wedding and you're seated with people you don't know, and it's just that three hour conversation of who I am as a person that you just toss out because you know you're never going to see him again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If I if I know I'm never going to see him again, then I'm Troy, international spy. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, um, I'm Troy. I, we've, my wife and I and our two boys, we live in South Central West Virginia, which is a state different than Virginia for those people that can't keep score. <laughs> and uh, we've been here on our farm, 100 acre farm or for 23 years. And it's 100 acres of Appalachian hardwood forest. So it's, it doesn't have a lot of tillable land. It has a lot of uh, woods. And uh, it's very secluded, which I love. And we've been we've been raising pigs and chickens um, and doing the garden thing for about um, probably about twelve years now out of those twenty three. Awesome. So we like to do um, also have a sawmill, and a wood shop, and just you know love doing building projects that type of stuff. Seems like there's there's always projects that are half done around here. So that's kind of what we try to do is get them finished. Well, isn't that every farm? There's always just a dozen half-finished projects because it's like, I'll get back to it. And then you don't. <laughs> yeah, my, my wife wanted to change the farm name to Half-Ass Farm and, and, and do a logo of the front half or the back half of a donkey because she's like, yeah, that, that's kind of sums up. That's kind of the theme of the overall farm. It's like you can see a lot of projects that are not fully complete. So. Absolutely. Absolutely. No, that's... Yeah, I'm pretty sure because my wife does the same thing. She's like, what are we doing with this? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> I had an idea. I had an idea six months ago. I started it on a whim and now I have no idea what I'm doing with it. <laughs> That's right. They they can't all be winners, man. Yeah. You know, no, some ideas yeah. just crash and burn. Others, others take off. You just you just gotta go with it. Well, I'm one of those people that it's like when I'm finally like, no, we're doing this project. We're getting it done. This is what we're doing, especially for like a big one. Like we just did a big uh, pasture build and I am like level 10 anxious 
on pig fencing. Like it is, it's documented on here. <laughs> it is what it is that I am like just super anxious about it. So I have woven wire with like, I think the appropriate like spacing of wood posts is every five. I think I have wood posts every three, like, <laughs> yeah. and, wow. and electric, double strand electric. So it was yeah. like, it was a big one. It was probably like a three acre pasture. <laughs> so it was, but um, when I get to that point where I'm like, we're getting this done, I will put every spare second I can into doing that. Even if it's like, I have 10 minutes, I'm just going to go pick up the insulators off the ground. Like, right. so for yeah. those big projects, I'm great, but it's like the little random small ones that it's like my, we don't have birds right now. Um, and we made one of the stalls in the barn, a chicken coop. Mm -hmm. I haven't had birds for probably a, over a year now that that coop's still not clean or the stall next to it. And I walk past them every single day. Cause it's just <laughs> one of those, like, yeah. no, I'm not going to devote the hour that it needs to be. Even though I have the hour, I'm just going to go inside, but it's like, I can't, I can't do it. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, I know what you mean, man. There's some things you, you know, are out there and it's like, well, I'll get to that. It's, it's, it's not on fire yet. And unfortunately that's how I do a lot of things. Okay. That's exactly. on fire. we got to put that fire out. So let's go work on that today. Well, the nice thing about it is if you wait till it's on fire, your wife can't really get mad in the moment that the fact you have to go out and spend the day and a half doing it because you have to do it. If she thinks about it, she's going to be like, Dumb ass, I should have done this six months ago and it wouldn't have gotten to this point. But <laughs> you got that tiny bit of cover of like, oh, I have to do this now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Ugh. Speaking of that pasture, um, I used your insulator design for the electric on that. You put out the video of using the, was it half inch or three quarter? I don't remember now. I use half inch. Yeah. I use yeah. the cheapest, cheapest out yeah. there. Um, for putting in the insulators for electric for pigs. And I will yeah. never do anything different. That was yeah, awesome. absolutely genius. And for those, um, I did a little, a little video on it. And Troy has another video on it on his page. It's essentially three foot long electrical conduit. And you buy the screw in um, insulators with the little piece that slides in and holds the wire in and you use self-tapping screws in the electrical conduit and just hammer that into the ground. And it is solid. Like it is as the first time I ran a line on it, I was like, what have I been doing this entire time? <laughs> yeah. I, I love those insulators. Um, and those, like you said, they have the little pin in them. So it's a little, um, little retaining pin. And the reason why I switched to those years ago was, um, we, the white tailed deer here are just so bad mm -hmm. that we had to go from 17 gauge wire on all of our electric down to the 14 gauge because they would just blow through the 17 gauge and, and, and break it. The right. 14 gauge, it, it can handle it more. So they don't break it. But what they were doing is just, you know, they would hit the wire at, at full gallop and they'd end up snapping off, you know, the yellow insulators, the dare ones that yeah. stick out further. They're breaking those off, you know, four or five down the row. And I got so sick of replacing the insulators, but there's got to be something that's more streamlined. It doesn't stick out and have that, you know, that uh, leverage issue that's causing those arms to break and it can handle the deer. And, and I found those and I was like, oh yeah, this is, this is the way to go. And also with our undulating, you know, with being Appalachian hardwood, it's right. Uh, it's all kinds of uneven ground. So those pins help you know, when you've got to be 
you have a downward tension because you're going into a little wash or mm -hmm. upward tension because you got a little hump to go over, or if you're trying to get around a tree or something like that, those pants can handle that. Whereas those little, you know, yellow insulators where it just has the little hooks, those things those kind things. of blow out pretty yeah. easily. And, and, and so that, yeah, it definitely was, was through trial and error that it ended up coming up yeah. with that. Of if, you're, that if you're lucky, if you're lucky, you've got two years out of, those T post insul the yellow T post insulators. If you're really yeah, lucky, exactly. Like I, um, this winter we had a deer blow through the uh, paddock that my wife's horse is in. I had now it's just one big one, but it was separated into two, and I had shut the back paddock off over the winter because I was mm -hmm. like, nothing's in there. I'm not going to put anything there. And the deer blasted through and the horse chased it out. So then the horse, <laughs> after the deer went through, the horse went through a completely different spot, blew right. that one out. So we just ended up turning that into one. But I had to go around after that because I was like, well, how bad is this? Because I haven't been back here because there's three feet of snow on the ground. Like, And I went through and I'm like, I just put this in like last summer and I need yeah. to replace half of the insulators yeah. that are on here just because... And the cows we have most of, or all the ones we had uh, last year had horns. So as soon as they catch a horn on it, done. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. And that's the thing. The insulators aren't that expensive. It's just the time and the pain in the neck exactly. of, of going back and replacing all that. And uh, of course with ours, yeah, I try to build my, um, I call them pastures, but they're basically a you know, woodlot um, oh. areas. And I try to build them where I have roads, but we have so much elevation change. There's places where I don't have roads and it's, right. it's like the deer always blast through them where I got to walk halfway up the side of the mountain to find the spot that's broken to fix of it. So, yeah. They, they never break them right there by the road. Yeah. I, I have a buddy who calls me a masochist cause I actually like, I thoroughly enjoy fencing. There's just yeah. something therapeutic about it to me <laughs> where I'm just like, but, but again, doubled with that anxiety. I think it's just a self-fulfilling prophecy of just like, I'm going to be anxious, so I might as well do it right. And then doing it right, there's some satisfaction of like, all right, I did this. Perfect. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Good deal. Yeah. Um, so how, or sorry, I know this year you have different pigs, uh, different pigs you're raising, um, the red wattles, correct? Yeah, yeah, we we bought a, a small herd of red wattles from um, <clears throat> from Copper Penny Farm down in Virginia, and wanted to give that a, a try, and 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 they've been doing pretty well, and um, we 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 had to buy this year because I had just a really lousy farrowing. Uh, in fact, we had total loss with two of our farrowings, so so I had to go out and buy. But, um, but yeah, I've been happy with the red wattle. I think I may even hold one of them back got a one guilt that has really good confirmation probably hold her back and and maybe move her into the breeding stock because i'd be curious to see what a a red wattle large black cross uh looks like that's awesome yeah and i i definitely understand the now i do uh, i know we were in contact i think it was right before i went on your show when you had that farrowing incident yeah um, yeah we just had we had to put down our bore i basically just shot our breeding operation in the head unfortunately <laughs> yeah um, yeah, yeah. I know we, had, we had talked about it on your show i was kind of going out of the box on how i was looking to breed stuff to kind of breed a cold weather tolerant or more cold weather tolerant pig um, yeah 
and I had got a hold of a really, really nice Asaba Island Hog Mangalitsa um, boar. And he was awesome. And I have a guilt out there who's pregnant with his piglets now, which I am super pumped about. But oh, yeah. Awesome. yeah, he ended up getting impacted and had an infection. And I was like, well, there goes that. <laughs> Never a dull yeah. moment. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, that gets frustrating. Yeah, we, we've had some interesting situ stories in the in the last, I think I've had pigs. We started with chickens. That was 12 years ago. I think I've had pigs about 10 years now. And uh, you know, probably one of the most interesting, unexpected deaths on the farm was uh, my brother's farm was just about 20 minutes away. And he came over one time. He was he was cutting some trees down. Um he, he wanted to get a couple to take to his mill and, and mill at his place. And so, you know, we've got five acres of woodlot that these, these pigs are on at that. Time, I had a group of about 20 pigs and they were, um, they were Duroc Hampshire mix. And they were, they were probably less than a month away from, from being ready to go to the process. They were good sized pigs. And of course they're up on top of the side of the mountain, you know, doing their thing. My brother's down here by the creek, and he's he's dropping this decent size poplar tree, and so he's looking around. He's, Are any of your pigs around? No, no, we're good. So yeah, just as that tree starts to come down, that whole that whole herd comes tearing down off the mountain, oh. and they run right past where that tree's going to fall. What's well, I mean? It's like it was like a Bugs Bunny cartoon, man. All those things are <laughs> running. Up. But the last one. The last one didn't make, and that tree cracked him right across the back. And um, he walked it off. I was looking. I was like, okay, wow. He's, he, I can't believe that he was able to do that. But he, he got up and walked around, and, and, and I checked on him uh, that evening. He was fine. Next morning, I couldn't find him. Couldn't find yeah. him anywhere. And, um, and it took me a while. He had actually rolled. We have these, these little watersheds. It was like a little ravine. Yeah. And he had rolled down into a ravine and gotten wedged behind a, a, a log. And I think, I think his, <clears throat> I think his, he had some internal injuries that caught up with him that night. So, so by the time I found him, it was 24 hours later. And of course, couldn't do anything with him. I, I wouldn't want yeah, to. Anyways. That's, yeah. That's that tough. Trauma. Yeah. And but that the was part, yeah. The hard part with pigs is, is it's like they're prey animals. So they're holding in everything they possibly can of illness or whatever until it's almost too late. Right. Yeah. Like yeah. That's the frustrating thing. It's like, <clears throat> usually you can see kind of what's wrong with this. It, with my boar, at least it was two days within two days. He went from being a champ doing his thing and then dead. <laughs> it's like, wow, yeah. that was quick. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're resilient until they're not. I mean, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, I got someone asking what part of West Virginia. We are 20 minutes southwest of Charleston, West Virginia, the capital of the state. Awesome. I know I have, there's another uh, person in a couple of the telegram groups I am. Uh, what's the name of their bed and breakfast? Holstein House. I know they're, uh, I know she mentioned she was fairly close to you. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Yeah, hmm. um, they're, great. They're, yeah they're great people. Yeah. Um, cool. But yeah, so what kind of like pushed you into raising your own livestock? Well, you know, it was interesting. So like I said, we've been on the property for 23 years and, and I'm, I'm a West Virginia native, but my wife and I moved to Florida after college. 
And because we thought, you know, typical West Virginia thing, it was one of those deals where um, it didn't seem like there's a lot of opportunity for gr uh, college graduates. And so we uh, we moved to Florida, did that for a while and and lived in Orlando. And and man, I just I had my fill of city life so quick. So we moved back and, and I told my wife, I said, well, if we're going to move back home, I don't want to live in town. I want to live out rural. So we found this land, long story short. So it was just one of those deals where I just wanted to have land and just get away from people. So I just like being outside. And I had never, I didn't grow up on a farm. I grew up rural, but I didn't grow up on a farm or anything like that. And had no desire to, to do a garden and farm animals and all that type of stuff. But uh, as our boys were coming along, so as they were being born, uh, they're, they're three and a half years apart from one another. Uh, typical thing, you just, okay, what are we feeding our kids? What kind of, right. what kind of stuff are we putting into them? And uh, we came across that documentary, Food Inc. And it was like, mm -hmm. all right, it's on. Yep. So we, yeah, we did that. We started with egg laying chickens and did that. And, and, and with all this, <clears throat> what was interesting is all this hardwood that I have and our, our valley is, is our acreage is, is shaped kind of like a, well, it, to me, it looks like a, it's like a really big par four. So it's like a dog leg, right? <laughs> and, uh, so it's, Perfect. it's, yeah, it's, 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 it's a it's a, a a watershed, so it's a valley. So everything drains into it uh, that we own. So we own the ridge all the way around, and it's it's just all covered in trees. Out of 100 acres, there were maybe two acres that actually you know would be grass that you would mow. Right. And uh, so I'm looking. It's like, well, we can't do beef. I'd rather take a punch in the face and grow goats or raise goats. So hey, don't do that. It, yeah. <laughs> and at that point, at that point, I was listening to this podcast called the Chicken Thistle Farm Podcast. I used to listen to them. Yeah, they were yeah. great. Yeah, I exactly. About yeah, them. yeah, yeah. And and so they just kept talking about pigs. And I'm like, well, I love bacon. But the thing that really intrigued me was when I started doing the research, it's like, wow, electric fence is cheap when it comes comparing to you know what you would need for cattle, what you need for goats. You know, you, you don't nothing's gonna keep a goat in. And um so I'm like, okay, I can afford an energizer and some wire and those type of things. So that's really why I started with pigs as far as the larger animal goes. And, and I fell in love with them and then seeing how they help me clear land. So I go in and harvest the big stuff to, uh, that doesn't produce mast. So right. like the poplar, poplar is the primary one because we have tons of poplar. So I go in and harvest the poplar. I, use, I put it on the mill. I use it for building. And I leave behind the the oaks, the hickory, the walnut, and the beech, and open up the canopy enough that grass starts growing. Well, the pigs come in, eat under all the underbrush, of course, and then all that mass-producing trees, you know, in, in midsummer and, and all the way through fall, there's just you know, free protein raining down on the ground. And the pigs have just done an incredible job of, of opening up land. So right. it's, it's one of those things at some point, uh, I think if, if I continue this trajectory, I, I could maybe in five years be able to put uh, you know, a beef or two on here because I'll have enough ground open up that the, there'd be grass for them to graze. That's yeah, that's awesome. And it's something I love about like just doing this podcast and like, but listening to people like your podcast and stuff like that with all these producers, we're all starting in completely different spots in trying to get to right around the same point. And it's like, because I think about my setup, my setup is open hayfield. I call it the blank canvas because yeah. it's, like, yeah. it's just open. But the field is 
gone to crap and nothing's I haven't gotten a really good yield off it yet. And like I said at the top, um, we're going to be selling our beef just because financially in this climate, it's not worth keeping. It's like it's not cost effective to raise three beef for like you and to sell. It's just not unless you have a really, really, really good setup. Um, So I've thought about, all right, cool. I'm going to add probably one more strand of electric to the cow pasture and break it up into a bunch of smaller pastures. And we're going to start moving pigs through, probably plant some red oaks or something out in there, let them grow over time and do the silvo pasture backwards. (laughs) Yeah. It's yeah. already clear. Now I'm trying to put trees on it. Uh, yeah, and yeah, and that's it's funny you say that because that's that's what I ran into when I started researching silvopasture. I was researching from sources that that were like you. They had the blank canvas, and they're like, okay, we're going to do this alleyway system. I think Greg Judy does it as well. Does you know the alleyway system where you're going to plant uh, the 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 uh, protein producers and then even some uh, fodder trees in between. And, and you have all this, this system set up and I'm like, wow, okay, well, what do you do when you're going the opposite? You're trying to clear stuff out and, um, and, and discovered that, you know, that's really, to me, it seems like, okay, everything I studied, what we're doing is the backwards course. It's, you know, instead of planting stuff in the ground, we're actually taking stuff away and, and I've been trying to be, I'm, I'm not a tree hugger by any means, but I, I recognize the, the, the responsibility of being good stewards of what I've been blessed with. So I, I don't want to just chop, chop a tree down and light it on fire and, and, and that be the case. So, so the mill, uh, I've got a, a wood chipper on the tractor because we use tons and tons of wood chips for the garden, for the chickens, is even sometimes for the pigs in the sacrificial area in the wintertime. And, um, of course, you know, firewood, if, if we have a need there. So it's, it's one of those things, if I'm going to take a tree, then I want to make sure that I've got everything in place, or at least I have a use for, you know, 90% of that tree. And, right. and we even love chipping stuff. Like, I love chipping stuff when it's green and you got all the leaves and things, uh, because when I put that into our chicken run, then that gives them extra scratching and all that. And, and of course, you know, that if you just have a standalone pile of wood chips from green, then it's already kicking. It's already got the compost going because there's so much, there's so much green material in there with that carbon. It just, those suckers get hot quick. So (laughs) no, it's perfect. And it's all about using everything. And that, I think that pretty much sums up a lot of this lifestyle to begin with. If you're going to be successful at it, at least, because it's like, yeah, you can cut down that tree and, just probably get some firewood. All right, cool. Or you could do what you've got, you've done. And it's like, you've got a pretty successful like sawmill operation where you're putting out decent lumber and that you can then use for more farm projects. And nobody thinks about how much work it is to actually do it the really right way. They're like, Oh, this is the right way to do it. It's like, technically, technically that's the right way to do it. But if it's the real right way, you've figured out what you're doing with all of the rest of the waste material there's no waste yeah you can do something with it yeah and and like you said just seeing what fits fits your farm and uh, your situation you you may discover that um well i yeah i I can go through the hassle of buying a wood chipper and do all that type of stuff but maybe there's you know woodwork i um uh, arborist right beside you and that dude's got tons of free chips he's trying to get rid of and um so it may not be cost effective to to do that 
And somebody yeah. said biochar. Yeah, I see the bio. Yeah, we we've got uh, we've got several videos actually on biochar. That's uh, awesome. That's yeah. huge as well. Um, because I like I make charcoal. I make lump coal for my smoker because obviously mm -hmm. we smoke our pork. But then stuff that's not not what I consider uh, smoke worthy. So like like a lot of the poplar tops and stuff then I will um, go ahead and use that for biochar as well. And man, yeah, you talk about biochar in your chicken run and mm -hmm. then biochar, like a, when you would burn a small brush pile, I don't know if you've run it. Well, you don't have a lot of brush, but you burn a small brush pile in your pig pasture. Right. Um, once that fire goes down and it goes cold. Oh, enough, they're in it. Oh, they are. Yeah, exactly. They're all they're over. It. They'll eat that charcoal up and, and it's, it's, it's crazy to watch them get in there and, and you know, stomp in what's uh, they don't eat. So it, it does great for improving the soil. Yeah. I'm slowly dipping my toes into the biochar thing. I've already jumped headfirst into so much to get to this point. I'm like, I need a minute to like compose myself and do a little more research and figure it all out. But we're looking at it for on the shop side to dispose of bones, like all yeah. the mat, all the byproduct from that. It's like right now I pay someone that leaves the property. We'll just say that. But I have all these bones that it's essentially, it would fit around a 30 gallon drum by the time I'm done with a full beef. Once I cut everything up, yeah. if I can take that, turn it into biochar, throw it in the compost and then throw it back into my pastures. It's a win-win all around. Like I'm not, I'm not throwing it all away and I can actually get a use out of it, which. Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> and, and, and um, so, you know, we're not too far from um, Polyface farm when it's about yep. four hours drive. So we've been over there multiple times. And the thing that always impresses me is, you know, the Salatons, they do a lot of um, poultry processing there on farm. And of course they have all the byproduct, they have all the eviscerate that they have to get rid of. Well, the same situation, you know, he chips a lot of wood up. And he'll just make these like this big cauldron of wood chips, basically just a big pile and bowls it out. And that's where he dumps all the eviscerate in and puts wood chips on top of it. Mm -hmm. And you talk about incredible compost. And then that oh, as yeah. that breaking down, then yeah, once it's broken down, then it goes in the spreader and goes back out on pasture. So it's just it's just soil building and, and just circle of life situation there. Well, I thought about that even with because um, we have a bunch of excess blood around for that same reason. And it's like, all right, take that blood out of that, turn it back into the biochar after it comes out of the retort to, I forget the word now, um, but basically get it to the point where it's not repelling water anymore and like yeah. toss it in the compost. And it's like, all right, cool. Now I'm taking, getting rid of multiple pieces of byproducts that would normally just go down the drain or somewhere and it's like, all right, now we're going to turn this back. But um, to your point about what you were saying before of like, all right, maybe it's not cost effective to have a wood chipper or something like that. We're in, we're in that boat. My neighbors have a sawmill and they have an excavation company and they have a ton of land that a bunch of tree, tree guys dump all their wood chips on. So he'll come over with his full size front end loader and go, what paddock you want it in? And just go, <laughs> it's like, Thank you, sir. Have a good day. Nice. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that that's that's a blessing, man. Because that that is, oh, that comes in handy. We're so far awesome. away. We're so far off the beaten path. I don't get any chip drop, but but actually, right before COVID, 
the, the guys were doing power line maintenance in our valley. And so I, I ran to him and said, hey, if you want looking for a place to drop, come drop your chips here. And he said, how much do you want? I said, all that you can give me. And he laughed. Yeah. He's like, well, we'll see about that. And on his fifth truck dump, and he said, do you want any more? I said, yeah, absolutely. He's like, well, that's all we got. <laughs> so, but yeah, that that lasted me. In fact, I still have I still have a small pile of that down there. And that's been, that was 2020. So that's going on that's three awesome. years old. But that, that's like a lesson to a lot of people. You don't know if you don't ask. Oh, absolutely. Go to, go to some of these producers. And that, I took that to heart when I went off on my own um, with the shop here is I just went and talked to random farms. I would just show up, like, I'd look at their Facebooks if they had them, if they were local or whatever. Some places I just cold knocked. And I was like, hey, I just want to introduce myself. They're like, okay, okay, buddy. But it's yeah. like, I have contacts to this day from doing that. And I, yeah. it's one of those things. You don't know if you don't ask. If you got a producer or somebody who's doing tree work and you need wood chips, instead of buying wood chips, go, hey, if you have land, dump all your wood chips here. You don't have to pay me. We're like to get rid of them because most places have to pay now. Exactly. Yeah. Well, you'd yeah. be doing them a favor. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and yeah, that's the thing. Our, our city, I see, um, I see uh, you know, dump trucks full of wood chips, the, the big uh, arborist trucks going up to the mm -hmm. city dump all the time. And I'm like, ah, oh, man, you're, you're paying to dump that. And they're paying to bury it, something that if, yeah. if you didn't bury it beside a washing machine or you know, a bunch of tires, it would still not have doing anything. Exactly. It'd have value. Just put it in a pile over there and I'll come get it later. But you know, obviously they won't yeah. do that. Well, it's so many people don't know what they have. Um, there is another community member, um, two chicks two chicks homestead, they have another podcast, but they have a massive like hundred year old walnut tree in their front lawn. To the point they have to snow shovel walnuts into garbage cans. <laughs> right. And I'm like, I wish, well, I don't wish I lived in where they live, but I'm like, I wish I was closer to you because I would show up for multiple truckloads of just walnuts. Just right. Heave ho. It's like, you need to get a pig. Like, they're like, we're in a neighborhood. It's like, it's a pig. <laughs> like, you're fine. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. My goodness. That'd be some, that'd be some high protein and be some good oh. tasting pork. Be a walnut raised like that. Absolutely. I know I, at this point, because like I said, we have open field and whatever trees we do have, it's pine. We got all the pine, yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah. I, at this point, um, we've got, we've had our piglets for a couple weeks now. Um, we got more Herefords. I freaking love them. They're amazing. I will preach them from the rooftops. They are so good. Um, but I work with a customer who has a dairy operation and I get a bunch of waste milk. I mix with beet pulp. That way I know that it's, they're getting all of it. It's not just soaking into the ground, a little extra fiber on it, but I usually try to give them, I'm going to start trying to give them, um, now that they're a little bit older, probably like five to 10 gallons a week of just like, here you go. <laughs> that's great <clears throat> yeah i mean just having having those resources at your disposal again it, it's so unique for each farm but man just finding that's that stuff like say just going around and and knocking on doors and just seeing hey it looks like you've got a byproduct here that i could use can i take it mm -hmm. off your hands or, or can we barter can we trade something the worst and, they're gonna say is no 
Yeah, exactly. But that's exactly. what I've learned at this point. It's like, you're not going to get anywhere without a community on this. And that community doesn't mean they have to like come to Thanksgiving dinner. It has to go. They know your name and know you're supposed to pick this up on Tuesday every yeah. week. Like, <laughs> yeah. Well, it's like, I, you know, I don't own a livestock trailer and I'm not planning on buying one anytime soon. And yeah. it's because my neighbor, you know, he, he has one and, and he transports livestock maybe twice a year. And right. <clears throat> so we just work out a deal where when I use a livestock trailer, then obviously return it clean, but I'll look and see if there's anything, any maintenance work that needs to be done on it. Right. Like I've, you know, I've done some undercoating work on it. I've replaced some lights and done those type of things. Cause it's just, Hey, when I got it, I'll do some things to, to keep it on the road. And, and then he gets a trailer back. That's better than he got it. So it just keeps that right. warm, fuzzy feelings like, okay, yeah, he's, he's not going to tear my stuff up. In fact, he's going to make it better by the time it gets back. Right. No. And that's huge. And it's super important. And I don't think it's, I don't think it's talked about enough. I think, <laughs> I think a lot of people are like, Nope, we're going to be self-sufficient. That means no. Right. One. And it's like, yeah. then you're not going to be self-sufficient. I promise you. Like you yeah. might be self-sufficient from going to the grocery store sometimes, but you're never truly going to be on your own because to be on your own, you need to have like a solid 10 people behind you that support <laughs> you and help you in some way, like exactly. directly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We, we weren't made to be isolated and be hermits. We, we were made to live in some sort of community and, and, and that's the thing. It, you know, it starts with your neighbors and especially if you've got neighbors with like-minded um, uh, you know, hobbies and things, you can say, Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm really good at growing peppers and you're really good at growing corn. Yeah. What if you raised more, more corn and I'll raise more peppers and we'll just do a swap at the end of the season. No, that's huge. Sorry, dogs. Dogs have pissed me off. <laughs> um, um, no, that's absolutely huge. And it's like people don't think about barter as a solid like way to get business done these days, and they really should. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like, that is, it's especially in a small like I'm in a very small town where it's I get a lot of stuff done on barters, and it's like either through the farm or through the shop. I'm just like, yeah. all right, cool. I need firewood. Your cow's getting done. Perfect. <laughs> yep. yep. And it, it creates less of a paper trail, if you know what I mean. It sure does. <laughs> you're, you're talking to the guy that has a snow, uh, a, what is it? Seven foot by five foot by eight foot tall smokehouse screwed to a snowmobile trailer. So they can't get me on taxes for a standing structure. I, I know all about that. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Very good. Very good. Yeah. A buddy of mine used to own a car wash, a coin car wash. And he would send his wife to the grocery store with a uh, you know, potato sack full of quarters. <laughs> oh. so that, that's how we that's how we get get moved, get cash moved around. He said, go to the store, buy some food, but here you got to take all these quarters. <laughs> oh, that's awful. Yeah. yeah, she didn't like him too much when he No, I was gonna it. say that's borderline almost not worth it. I was just yeah. the embarrassment of walking in with what yeah. a sack, so probably yeah. $50 in quarters. <laughs> Yeah, which was great because because what made it that story even better was uh, she she's a lovely lady, but she's from um, she's from Columbia, so uh, so in you know in Central West Virginia, 
you've got this, you know, this pretty Latino lady that doesn't speak very good English, or it was just, or it had an accent. She she was really shows good. up with a bag of quarters. Exactly, shows up with a bag of quarters, and you know, the, the typical <laughs> West Virginia native is kind of like, what's going on here? <laughs> what's happening here? Oh, that's so funny. Because uh, in my head, it immediately goes to all the cartoon tropes of like the old lady. Oh, let me count my coins. Yeah, One, exactly. Right, that yeah. makes it even better. <laughs> oh. oh, God. Um, so what new stuff are you thinking of adding? Or is there anything you're adding? Or are you just kind of settling in for a moment? Well, we're actually, we're looking at, um, it's not necessarily adding to the farm right now. Uh, we're probably going to scale up some. In fact, uh, about two years ago, I was about ready to be done with it all. I was going to be done. Well, they'll be done with the pigs because we were pigs commercially because we were just running out of um, processor options. Mm-hmm. Our um, last processor gave up his USDA. Um, then the he was state inspected still, so at least I get stuff done. But then he stopped running his smokehouse because he said, um, "I'm just having too much." you know this better than I do, you know, there's, you know, when it comes out of the smokehouse, it has to cool off to a certain temperature or a certain amount of time or something like it's, that. So it's not something, worth it. Something it's stupid. Not, from a producer side, it's not worth it, but I completely yeah. understand why it is. <laughs> yeah. so he's, so he's, he's losing money on that. So he's, I'm not going to do any of that. And I was like, well, I can't bring you, I can't bring you pigs if you're not going to do bacon and, and hams. It's kind of, you know, people don't buy pigs if they don't get bacon. So I'm like, okay, that's the last processor. Otherwise, I got to go out of state and I'm just not transporting pigs that far. Well, fortunately, there was one that opened up in our capital and it is, it is fantastic. I had, awesome. I had, I had six beef done there earlier this year and they did a fantastic job. Uh, very professional, USDA, all, all of that. So the fact that that's in and it's, it's backed by several, um, several large businesses. So I think it's going to be here to stay. It's not a, it's not a good old boy situation. So um, with that being in place, we're, we're starting to ramp back up on our, our pork. Well, I'm looking at uh, putting together a co-op with some other farms here in the Valley or in the County. And uh, we're going to start because my, you know, my day job is, is a marketing company. So I have that marketing experience. We're going to start target marketing into key demographic areas in town and offering uh, weekly deliveries. So that's actually going to launch awesome. here. Yeah. It's going to launch in a week. So we're keeping our fingers crossed that it goes, but I've got some direct mail going out got some digital advertising. that's going to hit, got the website built so they can do online orders and all that type of stuff. And then uh, my, uh, my boys will be doing the Saturday morning deliveries to these areas, you know, text text confirmations all that type of stuff so we're right. we're trying to use technology there but we'll be doing the uh, we'll be doing the pork uh the the poultry and the eggs and then of course cottage laws in west virginia are very relaxed now so my son right. he loves to bake so he's gonna be doing some baked goods and things and um and i've got two beef producers now i've got a maple syrup producer his farm is actually just over the ridge from mine so he's got tons and tons of maple syrup products. I have a guy that next spring will be strawberries. And um, and and I think I've got one more that's going to be a honey producer. So that we're trying to do awesome. that. Yeah, I put together that co-op where we've got all these different products. And then we'll just see how that goes. So, you know, hopefully here in 
three months, it'll be success and it won't make a big sucking sound like it's making right now. <laughs> I totally understand. It's the worst feeling of just like all the money's going out and nothing's coming in. <laughs> uh, yeah, I've, I've never, God, you wouldn't believe it, man. It's just oh. it's like somebody calls like, oh, yeah, this this ended up being this much. It's like, what's new, man? Because everybody has called and said, I need more money. I need more money. It's like, yeah. yeah. All right. Yeah. So yeah, if this um, if if this doesn't work and I shut it down, at least I'll stop hemorrhaging money. <laughs> <laughs> you won't make any money, but you'll stop losing it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, exactly. We'll turn yeah, the no, that's, off. Yeah. that's the hardest thing about starting anything, really. It's the old trope of just like you got to spend money to make money. I think they were talking about farmers when they came up with that in the first place. <laughs> that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. Because it's you look at. Um, we're right. Cause I mean, I only really started farming my daughter's four. So five years ago, really like yeah. under five. Yeah. And like I said, I call this place the blank slate cause it's a blank slate and I've built everything by hand and building the infrastructure and going into it. And it's like, all right, need to buy two more rolls of woven wire. All right. There's almost $700 right there. Ooh, that went quick. All right. And it's just compounds right. and it adds yeah. and it's like, all right, now let's try and make some money out of this. Right. <laughs> but it's, and, what and people, the, it's what people and, don't understand or think about is including all the work you're doing with this co-op. Right now it sucks. And you're doing all this work. You're hemorrhaging all this money. And you're trying to like, you're in your head just going, it's going to work. It's going to work. It's going to work. But you don't look at, people don't look at what's going to happen five years down the road. Yeah. You got to go into it with a little hope, but you're like, I'm not building this for next week. I'm building this for five years from now when all of those initial investments are paid and everything's still standing and we're actually making money. It's like, yeah. all right, you got to have a long-term view of things in this type of lifestyle. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, and you said something there that, that made me think that not everybody that homesteads or farms or, you know, just, just lives this lifestyle for, their own personal food security needs to turn it into a business. But if you can, whether you make a ton of money or whether you make a little bit of money, it's so much more beneficial with our current tax code structure. Uh -huh. And if you can, if you can take the hobby of homesteading and make it a revenue generator where you could then start using those tax write-offs, then that'll really save you a ton of money. Yeah. And and that's the thing that, that you know, I've been self-employed for 16 years. And it's funny, we're, you know, as a marketing company, all we sell is time and IP. You know, we just have an intellectual property. We don't produce a widget. So, you know, when it comes to taxes, it's the worst. You know, self-employment tax, I, I don't, it's just the two of us, the two partners. So we don't even have any employees to write off labor. You know, I can't right. claim my time, which I think is ignorant. I can't write off my labor, but if I That's turn around insane. and hire somebody to do it, then I could. And uh, so, great. yeah, so you go from that extreme where I just pay tons and tons of taxes through my marketing company, but come back here to the farm where it's like, okay, everything I do here is a hobby, but it's related to my business. Do I need a new chainsaw? Because I just like chainsaws and they're fun to have. Okay, I'll go buy one. Well, I get to write that off because it's part of the business. Uh -huh. you know, a new tractor, you know, if I can afford a new tractor, yeah, I get to write that off because it's part of the farm business. And and that's a way to take the lifestyle and and make it more profitable in a sense that you can you can at least stop hemorrhaging tax dollars. 
Yeah. I've got a couple of buddies that are real pissed off at the fact that I get to write off firearms because they're slaughter tools. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, yeah, I bought, um, when I got my AR-15, uh, I talked to my accountant about it and I said, well, I, I really bought that. Obviously, it's a fun gun to have, but it is predator control. You know, absolutely. I, I've got, I've You're protecting got an investment. Exactly. Predation issues. And she's like, absolutely. Claim it. Like, sweet. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. What about the uh, 30,000 rounds of ammo? <laughs> yeah, exactly. We're Listen, we got a, a lot, lot of coyotes. <laughs> we got a lot of coyotes. Exactly. Um, something you did say there that it's, and you pick, I'm piggybacking off of you piggybacking off of me about not all homesteads and stuff like that need to become a business. And it's, that's every, again, I keep referring to the people on the outside of the party that it's like, they just don't kind of get it. They look in and it's like, Oh, all these people are the same. And it's like, no, 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 no. They break down into different hierarchies of you have your homesteaders, you have your farmsteaders, you have your just straight out farms of just Mm -hmm. like, they're all kind of doing the same thing, but it's all on a very different plane. Yeah. Because it's, yeah. I have people look at me like, oh, you're homesteading. And I was like, I would probably never consider myself a homesteader. I do raise livestock and we don't have a garden. I don't have poultry. It's, I raise, well, <laughs> I did raise beef and pork. Now I'm just raising a bunch of pork. Yeah. But it's, I would consider myself more of a farm than that, yeah. in that, where it's like, I didn't have a pig for our freezer until I decided to put our sow in the freezer after she farrows and weans these piglets off. Like I didn't have one for me. Cause I'm like, no, I need to make money off these. Like yeah, yeah. I'm doing yeah. it cause I love doing it. And it's amazing for my family, like just for my kids to grow up in, but it's right. also like, yeah, no, this is kind of just <laughs> the hand I'm dealt of like, these are my set of skills in life and we're going to make the most of it. Um, but I always, I always laugh and I always kind of like look at that from like a topographical, or not topographical, like just a bird's eye view of just like, all right, I know this person, they're a good person and I enjoy hearing what they're talking about, but it's like, all right, are you a homestead? Are you a farmstead? Are you a farm? Because they are so drastically different. They are. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing. Yeah. I hear people talk about, oh, you need to, yeah, I see you spending all that money in pig feed. Yeah. You need to learn to raise your own feed and come up with that. And it's like, okay, the scalability of that is the issue because if I was going to find a way to wean my pigs off of soy or, or, you know, get away from buying processed feed, then that would be fine. If we're looking at a homestead level where you got maybe two hogs and you can do the old school way of, okay, we're just going to give them scrap we're going to grow some stuff in the garden to give them they're going to grow slower and and we're going to end up with what we've got but um but man yeah when you when you scale that up on any type of commercial level you know times i have 30 some pigs on property and it's like yeah i i can't grow enough to to feed 30 some pigs so it's it just doesn't make sense at that point oh no my new favorite thing to do is if i want to get out of a conversation with somebody and they like volley it back of like, so what's going on with you? And it's like, I just start telling them about how I'm going to transfer, like basically bring the field back to what it used to be over a five to six year process. And by the time I get to like, all right, then we're going to spread bio- biochar and then we're going to pasture pigs. You just see their eyes glaze over of just like, <laughs> that's what, what are you talking about? <laughs> like, <laughs> Right. Yeah. 
exactly. It's, yeah, a lot of people don't understand that all compounds, like you said, of just like, all right, I need to scale this up at one point. I don't have the sp space to raise a bunch of corn. All right, now I have all this corn. Now I need yeah. to have a grain mill. So now I need yeah. to figure out how to run a grain mill. All right, well, now I need storage for all of this grain that I just milled. <laughs> it's, it's at sometimes it's just easier yeah. to do it where it's, I do the same thing. I, I just buy commercial hog feed and I usually add corn. I add some crack corn to it just for yeah. extra calories and stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. Could I go out and do all of whatever? Sure. But it's also something I've learned <laughs> along the way as a butcher too. I always ask what they're eating, especially now that I'm doing it solo. I am one-on-one -on -one right. with the customer. I do it bullet to freezer. And it's like, all right, what this thing eat? Yeah, and yeah, that's great. Guess, guess what? The ones that are eating corn and soy and commercial hog feed on a regular, more regular basis, they usually come out better. Like with a little bit of pasturing there too, they come yeah. out the best. We had, <laughs> this one kills me. We had a woman call, I had a woman call me. She called me 10 months before the appointment. And I was like, all right, cool. That's fine. I usually book out a month ahead of time just because of yeah. that's how my schedule works. Like my, me and my wife swap off when we work and I don't want to like put anyone's six months. This is going to be the exact date that it's, that's not how it works. I got two kids yeah. and I work from home. Nope. <laughs> um, she called me 10 months out and I'm like, all right, cool. And then it immediately just went downhill of like, oh, we're shipping out this feed that's organic and this, that, and the other thing from California. And we sing them opera every night and tuck them in with a blanket kind of thing. It was like, <laughs> okay, awesome. Can't wait. Because I already knew what this was going to be. So she reaches out again about a month or two months before I go through the whole thing an hour conversation, both, both phone calls. And I'm like, okay, cool. Perfect. Here's your date. These things show up. They're Yorkshire's, which I don't have a problem with. I've raised them. They do exactly what they are meant to do. Right. Yeah. When they get food, like they raised these things on whatever organic grain from California, this was in organic vegetables. And I was like, Okay, and the the I was keeping my composure, being very professional the entire time. And she looks at me and goes, so what about the bacon? And I just turned and I went, there is no bacon. And she's exactly. like, you mean you're, you don't smoke? I mean, no, ma'am, there's no bacon on this pig. And yeah. what, what do you mean? And I got in there with him and I'm like, bacon comes from the bellies. This is a, at the time, I think it was a nine month old Yorkshire yeah, hung at 105 pounds. Like if I remember, oh my yeah, yeah. <laughs> like there's no bacon on this. I think yeah. I ended up leaving the shoulders, yeah. the, the ribs on the spare ribs on and being like, you got some real thick spare ribs here. So, but yeah, no feed is, if you want to get into an argument online, yeah. You start talking pig feed. Yeah. That is, yeah. That's a whole thing. It is. It is. And it's, you know, people get wrapped around the axle on, on something. It's like, you know, you can't have it all. You can't no. be self-sufficient on your feed and have a huge herd. You can't be, 
you know, all of these alternate sources and not run into vitamin deficiencies and all those type of things. There's a reason why when I go to my feed mill and I buy uh, pig feed in a hundred pound sack that the ingredients list is that long because it's been formulated over the years to produce <laughs> the best. Yeah. Yeah, it, yeah, it's, and then to way, the way I look at it is if, if I lock my pigs up in a 10 by 10 paddock and raise them with this feed, they'd still produce. Mm-hmm. Now the, 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 the flavor, the, the marbling, maybe not be as good, but putting them out on pasture to me is just, it's, it's dessert for them or it's gravy on top, whatever analogy you want to use. It's the feed is the basic, but when they get this mast, when they get to, to roam around, when they get to find bugs and grubs and, and yeah. roots and those type of things, and it's just adding to flavor and it's just, it's just extra nutrient for them. The right. feed's going to take care of the basics. For sure. And it's, when they got space to move around, people don't think about meat's muscle. Yeah. You know how you yeah. build muscle? You move around, you climb, you like horseplay. You do like if you've got three pit, three Yorkshires in a 10 by 10 box that you just shove feed in twice a day, you're going to get pork. You're going to get a lot of pork. Like usually the bigger pigs I see, even out of like when you're pulling out a Yorkshire or something like that, like the bigger ones I see are the ones that are in those confinement areas because they're not going anywhere. They're not burning yeah. off anything. Exactly. So it's like, and I look at those people and I go, what would you like me to do with the back fat? And they go, oh, they don't want it. And I'm like, congratulations. You're going to get back <laughs> half of your pig. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I usually, like, end yeah. Up talking, I usually end up talking them into it of like, you are going to take this. Like, because I can't justifiably throw out all of this. Like, you can use this for your family. And if they're finally yeah. like, no, no, no. I'm like. Oh, okay. And then I just cry back it in five pound packages and I use it for deer season because it's like, I'm not throwing that away. That's gold. Yeah, exactly. Well, you know, it's funny that that my friend that I use his livestock trailer, it's actually his, his father that I originally established a relationship years ago and his father's passed now, but his, his father was an old school farmer Mm -hmm. and he came over and introduced himself because he, he was up on the Ridge. We share a, a property line up on top of the Ridge and, and he was up there and, and uh, he, he said he could smell pig manure. Mm. And he's like, I know that smell. And no, nobody around here has got pigs. So he came over the valley and introduced himself to me. And, and of course, I had piglets at that time. Uh, piglets were just kind of running around in front of my workshop because they were still nursing. And I would just let them go into the electric because, you know, they won't go too far from the south. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. And, and he's like, look at all these piglets. It's hilarious. He said, well, why don't you have them locked up somewhere? I was like, oh, no, we, we do them on pasture and everything. He's like, well, that's that's not going to be good. They're going to run all their weight off and everything. But so, yeah, we agreed to disagree, but became really good friends. And he, he taught me a lot of things. And one year in exchange for um, some work and some other things he did for me, he ran a, a backhoe for me for a while. Um I gave him two piglets when we, when we farrowed, I think I had two Pharaoh. We, we had a really good litter and I gave him his choice of two. So he takes those two pigs and he puts them in his, he, he, exactly what you said. It was, it was, I think an eight by four building. It was raised floor, had just wire mesh, heavy wire mesh on the backside, had an area where he could dump feed in through this little, almost like a bank teller floor. <laughs> It had a pig nipple set up for water, and then it had a it had a section where it was raised so he could spray the manure out of it. Mm-hmm. And he raised those pigs 
um, that way as I was raising mine on pasture. And we, we had the same processing date because it was just, hey, he's got the trailer. We'll load everybody's up. We'll tag his two and we'll tag mine. And then we'll just see how it comes out. And yeah, it was, he was, I was trying to think because this has been years ago, but I think he was only maybe 20 pounds heavier hanging. Right. But when we got to pork chops, I, I said, do me a favor. I'm going to bring over a pack of pork chops. Get out yours and let's just look at them. And we laid them out on the table and he's like, now these were the same uh, breed. Yeah. He's and wow. It just, why does yours look so different? It's like, well, it's because of the way we raised them. The, <laughs> said, marble, it's the color. Exactly. It's all yeah, the, the color was dramatic. I mean, you could wow. see it was, it was just like, you know, but this, this looks like the same cuts. Like, yeah, these are, these are rib chops. It, it's, it's the exact yeah. same cut, exact same breed, exact same age pig. Well, just it's like, you... I, I think about it. It's like we, the paddock, the original paddock we had was probably an acre and a half ish, but it was enough space for them to really move around. And we had like nine, like I, I jumped right in head first and I had my Herefords. I, and then I picked up some, uh, like some Yorkies, just some Yorkshires and a mixed breed from some like essentially puppy mill situation, which I will never do again. Um, but again, I've cut up, it has to be close to a thousand, if not more like pigs locally raised in New Hampshire at this point. Like, so I've seen the spectrum and I put those Yorkshires through and I was like, Oh, okay. All right. This all makes sense now. <laughs> like they were just, the color on them was fantastic. It was like nothing that I had ever seen of like, Oh, all right. There's something to this. Like it makes sense. Cause I mean, I wouldn't have done it if I didn't think so, but I also am one of those people. I don't want to put a pig in a 10 by 10 box. That's not, that's, that's no way for anything to live. Like if I'm going to eat this, I don't want it just in its own shit. Like I want it to move around and be able to experience life kind of thing. Yeah. But yeah, absolutely. So we're coming up on an hour here. What I like to do is just kind of like, what is the little tip or trick that you want to toss out for people? Ooh, that's a good one. Um, well, I, I, I don't consider myself a permaculturalist. I've never had my PDC or anything like that, but I've really, really studied a lot of that. And what I've discovered over the time is, you know, this, this one principle called function stacking. And it's basically just, you know, get as much out of something as you can or get multiple things done in, in one, one, you know, one action. And that's what, um, that's what we've really embraced. So I mentioned already in the trees how, you know, yeah. I, I, I'm opening up pasture so I can get more grass growing. So I'm removing trees that are less desirable for the pasture, but more desirable for my mill. So then I can sawmill boards for building projects or woodworking down in our wood, our wood shop. And, you know, the treetops go to the uh, chipper to be chipped for making compost or making wood chips for the chickens, which then turn it into compost. And then, you know, anything in between is either biochar or firewood. And, and th that I try to apply to everything. So find a way to make. So like right just here this week, um, well, no, it's been several weeks. I think I did mention it in one of my videos where we have a really steep slope and, and, 
I'm sitting down on the front porch so I can enjoy my pipe. But the pigs, I don't know if you're, the mic's picking them up, but the pigs are just over the hill past my driveway. And they're literally on like 60 degree slope right now. And it's all wooded. But where that wood wood edge comes up to our driveway, it's it's gotten thick with poison ivy and multiflor rose and autumn olive and all that type of stuff that just grows overnight. So what um, what I do is in the evenings, I, I soak and ferment our pig feed. Uh-huh. It, you know, it looks like oatmeal. So what I do is I, I bring it up. And if there's a big multiflora rose bush or a big autumn olive or something on the inside, of that, <laughs> it goes right in the center of that. And of course, you know, the pigs, you know, they don't call it pig skin for nothing, man. They just wow. dive right into that. They'll eat every bit of feed and I'll come down. And if that multiflora rose bush isn't uprooted, it's so laid over where I can just take my little pruners or a little handsaw and just cut that thing right off of the base. Mm-hmm. And just let it tumbleweed over or, or pile it up for the chipper or whatever. And it's like, yeah, that's it's it's a function of having to feed the pigs, but feed them in a way that allows me to clear land in the same process, especially problematic stuff where I'm not going to dive in the middle of that multiflora rose bush and try to find a way to chop down the trunk uh, and not get stuck full of uh, briars in that situation. I'm going to let the pigs take care of it because their skin's a little thicker than mine. Exactly. No, and that's that is fantastic advice. And I think it's gonna it's gonna be hard for some people to be super successful in this doing this if you don't figure out a good way to do it because there is only so much time in the day and if you can set up a good setup to where one thing is taking care of three different problems it's just a couple extra minutes of work to it you're going to be able to save yourself so much time energy and you're going to have such a better product in the long run yeah yeah absolutely absolutely so um do you have anything to plug your channel podcast any of that oh yeah if you don't mind yeah so we've got uh the pastured pig podcast which you can find in any of the podcast servers and that is uh i think we've got about 104 episodes out now and we're interviewing uh pastured pig producers from all over the country anything from small homesteads all the way up to huge huge producers and um We've got our YouTube channel, Red Toolhouse Homestead, and uh, we're on Facebook, Instagram, all that typical stuff. But yeah, yeah, appreciate it, man. No, absolutely. And I have all the links to your stuff down in the description for the video, too. So um, if you want to see that, just go down there. You can jump on those quick. Um, and you can go back and listen to my episode of the Pastor Pick podcast when I was yeah. on there. Um, and for me, as always, everything is at uh, at Backwoods Butcher six hundred three. That's Instagram, uh, TikTok, YouTube. Uh, I am also on Noster, and you can also stream um, this podcast on the Fountain app. Um, so, other than that, if you've got anything else, holler it out. But I appreciate you coming on. This was a super fun conversation. Um, and I look forward to the next time if we if we have another one. Yeah, man. Enjoyed it. I appreciate you having me on. Absolutely. All right, guys. Have a great night. I hope you guys got a chance to meet the critters.